Chapter Twelve of Indian Child Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Indian Child Life by Charles Eastman. Chapter Twelve. Snana's Fawn. The little Missouri was in her spring fullness, and the hills among which she found her way to the great muddy were profusely adorned with colors, much like those worn by the wild red man upon a holiday. Between the gorgeous buttes and the rainbow-tinted ridges there were narrow plains, broken here and there by dry creeks or gulches, and these again were clothed scantily with poplars and sad-colored bulberry bushes, while the bare spots were purple with the wild Dakota crocuses. Upon the lowest of a series of natural terraces there stood on this May morning a young Sioux girl, whose graceful movements were not unlike those of a doe, which chanced to be lurking in a neighboring gulch. On the upper plains, not far away, were her young companions, all busily employed with the weapte, as it is called, the sharp-pointed stick with which the Sioux women dig wild turnips. They were gaily gossiping together, or each humming a love-song as she worked. Only Snana stood somewhat apart from the rest, in fact concealed by the crest of the ridge. It was now full-born day. The sun shone hot upon the bare ground, and the drops stood upon Snana's forehead as she plied her long pole. There was a cool spring in the dry creek bed nearby, well hidden by a clump of choke-cherry bushes, and she turned thither to cool her thirsty throat. In the depths of the ravine her eye caught a familiar footprint, the track of a doe with the young fawn beside it. The hunting instinct arose within. It will be a great feat if I can find and take from her the babe. The little tawny skin shall be beautifully dressed by my mother. The legs and the nose shall be embossed with porcupine quills. It will be my work-bag, she said to herself. As she stole forward on the fresh trail, she scanned every nook, every clump of bushes. There was a sudden rustle from within a grove of wild plum-trees, thickly festooned with grapes and clematis, and the doe-mother bounded away as carelessly as if she were never to return. Ah, a mother's ruse! Snana entered the thorny enclosure, which was almost a rude teepee, and tucked away in the furthermost corner lay something with a trout-like speckled tawny coat. She bent over it. The fawn was apparently sleeping. Presently its eye moved a bit, and a shiver passed through its subtle body. Thou shalt not die. Thy skin shall not become my work-bag. Unconsciously the maiden spoke. The mother's sympathy had taken hold on her mind. She picked the fawn up tenderly, bound its legs, and put it on her back to carry like an Indian babe in the folds of her robe. I could not leave you alone, Tachinchala. Your mother is not here. Our hunters will soon return by this road, and your mother has left behind her two plain tracks leading to this thicket, she murmured. The wild creature struggled vigorously for a minute and then became quiet. Its graceful head protruded from the elk-skin robe just over Snana's shoulder. She was slowly climbing the slope with her burden, when suddenly, like an apparition, the doe-mother stood before her. The fawn called loudly when it was first seized, and the mother was not too far away to hear. Now she called frantically for her child, at the same time stamping with her delicate forefeet. Yes, sister, you are right, she is yours, but you cannot save her to-day. The hunters will soon be here. Let me keep her for you. I will return her to you safely. And hear me, O sister of the woods, that some day I may become the mother of a noble race of warriors and of fine women, as handsome as you are. At this moment the quick eyes of the Indian girl detected something strange in the doe's actions. 
She glanced in every direction, and behold, a grizzly bear was cautiously approaching the group from a considerable distance. "'Run, run, sister! I shall save your child if I can!' she cried, and flew for the nearest scrub oak on the edge of the bank. Up the tree she scrambled, with the fawn still securely bound to her back. The grizzly came on, with teeth exposed, and the doe-mother in her flight came between him and the tree, giving a series of indignant snorts as she ran and so distracted Mato from his object of attack, but only for a few seconds. Then on he came. Desist, O oh brave Mato, it does not become a great medicine man to attack a helpless woman with a burden upon her back. Snana spoke as if the huge brute could understand her, and indeed the Indians hold that wild animals understand intuitively when appealed to by human beings in distress. Yet he replied only with a hoarse growl, as rising upon his hind legs, he shook the little tree vigorously. Ee he, hey up ee! Snana called loudly to her companion, turn up diggers. Her cry soon brought all the women into sight upon a nearby ridge, and they immediately gave a general alarm. Mato saw them, but appeared not at all concerned, and was still intent upon dislodging the girl, who clung frantically to her perch. Presently there appeared upon the little knoll several warriors, mounted and uttering the usual war whoop as if they were about to swoop down upon a human enemy. This touched the dignity of Mato, and he immediately prepared to accept the challenge. Every Indian was alive to the possibilities of the occasion, for it is well known that Mato, or grizzly bear, alone among animals, is given the rank of a warrior, so that whoever conquers him may wear an eagle feather. Woo-woo! the warrior shouted as they maneuvered to draw him into the open plain. He answered with hoarse growls threatening a rider who had ventured too near but arrows were many and well aimed and in a few minutes the great and warlike mato lay dead at the foot of the tree the men ran forward and counted their coup on him just as when an enemy has fallen then they looked at one another and placed their hands over their mouths as the young girl descended the tree with a fawn bound upon her back so that was the bait they cried and will you not make a feast with that fawn for us who came to your rescue the fawn is young and tender and we have not eaten meat for two days. It will be a generous thing to do, added her father, who was among them. Ee! she cried out in distress. Do not ask it. I have seen this fawn's mother. I have promised to keep her child safe. See, I have saved its life, even when my own was in danger. Ho, ho, wankan eat lo. Yes, yes, tis holy or mysterious, they exclaimed approvingly. It was no small trouble for Snana to keep her trust. As may well be supposed, all the dogs of the teepee village must be watched and kept at a distance. Neither was it easy to feed the little captive, but in gaining its confidence the girl was an adept. The fawn soon followed her everywhere, and called to her when hungry, exactly as she had called to her own mother. After several days, when her fright at the encounter with the bear had somewhat worn off, Snana took her pet into the woods and back to the very spot in which she had found it. In the furthest corner of the wild plum grove, she laid it down, gently stroked its soft forehead, and smoothed the leaf-like ears. The little thing closed its eyes. Once more the Sioux girl bent over and laid her cheek against the fawn's head. Then reluctantly she moved away, hoping, and yet dreading, that the mother would return. She crouched under a clump of bushes nearby and gave the doe call. It was a reckless thing for her to do, for such a call might bring upon her a mountain lion or ever-watchful silver tip. But Snana did not think of that. 
In a few minutes she heard the light patter of hoofs and caught a glimpse of a doe running straight toward the fawn's hiding place. When she stole near enough to see, the doe and the fawn were examining one another carefully, as if fearing some treachery. At last both were apparently satisfied. The doe caressed her natural child, and the little one accepted the milk she offered. In the Sioux maiden's mind there was turmoil. A close attachment to the little wild creature had already taken root there, contending with the sense of justice that was strong within her. Now womanly sympathy for the mother was in control, and now a desire to possess and protect her helpless pet. I can take care of her against all hunters, both animal and human. They are ever ready to seize the helpless fawn for food. Her life will be often exposed. You cannot save her from disaster. Otaka, my sister, let me still keep her for you. She finally appealed to the poor doe, who was nervously watching the intruder, and apparently thinking how she might best escape with the fawn. Just at this moment there came a low call from the wood. It was a doe call, but the wild mother and her new friend both knew that it was not the call of a real doe. It is a Sioux hunter, whispered the girl. You must go, my sister. Be off. I will take your child to safety. While she was yet speaking, the doe seemed to realize the danger. She stopped only an instant to lick fondly the tawny coat of the little one. Then she bounded away. As Snana emerged from the bushes with her charge, a young hunter met her face to face and stared at her curiously. He was not of her father's camp, but a stranger. Ugh, you have my game. Tosh, she replied coquettishly. It was so often said among the Indians that the doe was wont to put on human form to mislead the hunter that it looked strange to see a woman with a fawn, and the young man could not forbear to gaze upon Snana. You are not the real mother in maiden's guise? Tell me truly if you are of human blood, he demanded rudely. I am a Sioux maiden. Do you not know my father? she replied. Ah, but who is your father? What is his name? he insisted, nervously fingering his arrows. Do not be a coward. Surely you should know a maid of your own race, she replied reproachfully. Ah, you know the tricks of the doe. What is thy name? Hast thou forgotten the etiquette of thy people, and wouldst compel me to pronounce my own name? I refuse. Thou art jesting, she retorted with a smile. Thou dost give the tricky answers of a doe. I cannot wait. I must act before I lose my natural mind, but already I am yours. Whatever purpose you may have in thus charming a poor hunter, be merciful. And throwing aside his quiver, he sat down. The maiden stole a glance at his face, and then another. He was handsome. Softly she re-entered the thicket, and lay down the little fawn. Promise me never to hunt here again, she said earnestly, as she came forth without her pretty burden, and he exacted another promise in return. Thus Snana lost her fawn, and found a lover. End of chapter 12 Snana's Fawn